Welcome to PostStatus Draft, the official podcast for PostStatus, a website with news and information for WordPress professionals. Today I'm talking to Pippin Williamson, and we're going to discuss the renewed effort he and his team have made to rejuvenate Restrict Content Pro. If you enjoy this podcast, you can get a lot more quality news and analysis from the PostStatus Club multiple times per week. Check out our current club members, site partners, and join the club on our website at poststatus.com club. You'll be joining more than 700 wonderful club members, and you'll never miss important WordPress news again. Today, I'd like to feature one of our partners, Design Palette Pro. Design Palette Pro makes customizing Genesis websites simple. The Design Palette Pro team has integrated with every Genesis child theme, and it's the perfect place to send folks who need custom design but don't have a custom budget. Go to genesisdesignpro.com for more information, and thanks to Design Palette Pro for being a post-status partner. Now, here's our show. Hey everybody, I'm here with uh, a good friend of mine, Pippin Williamson, and he's going to talk to us today in a special episode of the Post-Status Draft. Um, we're going to talk about reviving Restrict Content Pro and generally managing uh, multiple products at one time. So Pippin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. Um, so I've been wanting to talk to you about um, how you've been managing EDD, Restrict Content Pro, Affiliate WP, um, and how you organize that. Um, and around the same time that I was starting that conversation with you, um, you kind of came out with this rebuilding a dying product concept. And we had talked about it before you posted about it, and I guess around when the time y'all redid the website. Um, so can you tell us briefly um, what, I mean, Restrict Content Pro has been out for, what, four, five, four and a half years? About four and a half years. And uh, it lingered as EDD and Affiliate WP grew. So what was the timeline in terms of making this recommitment to it? Sure. So uh, the product launched originally in January 2012. And for a while, it was my, my bread and butter. It was my primary product that I was working on, for one, because I liked it, two, because it powered my own sites, and it was doing well for itself. Um, Fast forward about three years or so, and it had it had done really well. I had continued to develop it. But then at about the two or three year mark, I started building Easy Digital Downloads. And then about a year and a half, two years later, I started building Affiliate WP as well. For one reason or another, those two projects took off a lot faster and quickly overtook uh, Restricted Content Pro in terms of focus, the amount of dedication it took to build them, and also in their revenue. And so from a business perspective, it made sense to focus where the revenue was. Um, and then, I, so I would say it kind of the 2015 year mark uh, mm -hmm. is is really when Research Content Pro started to dwindle. When I, when I, for about a year and a half, I really treated it as a side project. Like, so I was focusing on EDD, I was focusing on affiliate WP, and then I had the RCP, which was a side project that I was still working on, but it was very much a side project. And then in 2015 and 2016 is when I really lost focus on it completely. And the only, really the only updates it got was bug fixes and minor improvements here and there. Uh, it was lucky if it ever got a new feature. So around the end of 2015 is when uh, I started looking at it and thinking, I need to make a decision here. We need to, are, are we going to try to rebuild this? Are we going to try to keep this thing alive? Do we want to give it a focus? Do we want to just let it continue to be a side project and slowly die? What do we want to do? Um, and we st started having this conversation as a team as well. This wasn't just me. Up until this point, Restricted Content Pro had been purely my project. No one else was working on it. I had a full team working on Affiliate WP and on ADD, but RCP was still me and mm -hmm. me alone, uh, with the exception of a little bit coming in here for support here and there. But in in late 2015, we started having conversations as a team as well, just trying to like see, did anybody else have interest in working on it? Did uh, Was this something that we thought as a team we wanted to work on and rebuild? Do we want to make this a team project? Uh, and there was definitely interest among the team in doing that. And then in 2016, uh, early 2016, John Paris, uh, who had been working for, uh, almost exclusively on EDD before that, really spoke up and said, I really want to work on this. This is a project that I really, really like. Uh, I like membership sites. 
Um, I like RCP and I would like the challenge of owning this product and being like working on it full time and developing it, supporting it, rebuilding it, et cetera. And so then early 2016, really around springtime is when we started pushing that. And we, we made that commitment and said, we are going to rebuild this and we are going to make this a premier product that is um, up to par with everything else and hopefully better than everything else eventually as well. Um, so it was technically April is when we started. It's interesting to me that uh, when talking about this, you're pretty much only talking about whether people on your team wanted to do anything, uh, not so much talking about like actual market analysis to see um, if it was the right move um, from a business standpoint. Is that something that you just kind of inherently felt like you understood or did y'all do market analysis or did you just want to see what y'all could create? Um, I'll, I'll try and answer that in a few different ways. So first, I knew that RCP could be much more successful than it was. And maybe th- this isn't exactly the best market research, but here's, here's a couple of reasons why I felt that. Number one, the product was already four and a half years old. It had a decent sized customer base. At that time, we were looking at somewhere around 5,000 customers in its lifetime. So I knew that we had a customer base already that we could market to. So just um, based on some dummy math at you were talking about your $42 price plan. You've probably made a quarter million dollars off Restrict Content Pro, but over four years, right? Uh, not quite that much because when it was originally on Code Canyon, which is where it got its first 2,000 customers or so, big revenue. Uh, it used to have a lower price point. Okay, okay. Uh, but still... But, but you're not very far off. Yeah, yeah. It's somewhere in that range. But it's not like the type of thing that's going to pay like a senior developer salary year in, year out going into the rebuild. Well, it'll, I mean, it'll get close. Um, it, it, it was enough that we could dedicate a full-time team member to it, especially like where it was, and that would cover the majority of, of their salary. I gotcha. And, and then we can supplement the rest of it through, through other work. And also, just part of an investment into a product, if we take a loss, it's okay, because we're rebuilding it and we're going to surpass that. Yeah. So I knew that we had a market for it based purely on how it had done in the last four and a half, five years. And I also knew that we could do much, much better than we had because in those last four years, it did as well as it did on a blog post. Like the product <laughs> itself lived on a blog post for four years. Oh, yeah. It never had a product page. It never had a website. It never had an FAQ section. It never had a pricing page. It never had anything but a Damn blog post. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there were actually multiple times I pinged you and was like, Pippin, where the hell is the product page for Restrict Content Pro? I'm trying to write about this product. Yeah, absolutely. And so, like, looking at that alone, I was, number one, I was astounded that (laughs) at any time RCP ever made its way up to eight or $10,000 a month from a blog post, which was cool. I mean, don't get me wrong, it was awesome. But it, it proved to me that if we took the time to build out a complete dedicated site, a full documentation area, all of those details that a normal product should have, well, number one, we're going to do a minimum of what we've already been doing. But we should be able to double that mm-hmm. and then triple it and probably quadruple it. Yeah. Uh, and, and so that to me was proof enough. So when you, now, your market analysis was basically saying, well, this is what we're doing with terrible marketing. So what could we do if we do some decent marketing? Yeah, exactly. Plus have a good, a better product. Right, right, exactly. Uh, and then to, to answer the, the other part of your question about, uh, you, you said we were looking at like, what do we want to do? What does our team want to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was really, I'm a, I'm a huge believer that everybody should be happy in your work. And if you're not happy in your work, you, we need to make a change. Uh, and, and so in this particular case, like J- John was not super happy in his work at EDD. Uh, there's a lot of dynamics about EDD that are painful and that make it difficult to work on extensively, like day after day, especially if you're in the support realm, because support is tough and support for EDD is super tough. There's so many variables that come into play. Mm-hmm. And, and so he recognized that he wasn't thrilled with that and wanted to do something a little different. And so as the company owner, I want to try to, I want to cater to that as best I can. A an unhappy employee is not a valuable employee to me because they won't be an employee that much longer because no one is going to let themselves stay unhappy in their work unless you're a 
say a masochist. It leads to uh, either burnout or just quitting. Or yeah, both. or just or un low quality work or what have you. And so if we can if we can make him really enjoy what they're doing and give give everybody something that they love to work on that they're excited to work on, their performance is going to excel. Their personal happiness is going to excel. The quality of what they put out is going to excel. Um, and so that was a no brainer in my mind. What degree of the success do you think is because of uh, what I think we can now call a habit of yours of naming plugins off of what they do? Um, <laughs> Easy Digital Downloads, Affiliate WP, Restrict Content Pro, and others that you've had over the years. Like, you are not the most creative namer in the world. No, um, not even remotely. So, I mean, but there's probably pros and cons to that. It's harder to brand, but it's uh, way easier to be discovered. It, do you track that discovery is is like just native people trying to figure out something that does X in WordPress find are those finding you like is that how this could live on a blog post for so long because that blog post did so yeah, well in search I think that's probably why I think I think we're not it's not the only reason but it's a big reason um, it's probably a complete failure on my part but it's something I haven't paid that much attention to uh, and I should probably I should really from a branding perspective you mean. No, like, uh, I mean, branding wise, I've, I've paid attention to it because we've, we've done that consistently, mm -hmm. um, across the products, um, including products that are no longer, I mean, font uploader, easy content types, et cetera. I think the most creative name we have in, in our portfolio is sugar calendar, which Absolutely. is not very creative. Um, so we've, we've paid attention to it in that way, but I have never like looked at is this really beneficial? Would it be better if we went with something completely different? Uh, it's something that we might figure out in the near future it, or maybe the far future. We have, a, we have a project that we've slowly worked on that has a completely different name that is maybe what you would call a creative name that doesn't explicitly define what it does. And maybe that'll give us some more insight into it. But it's not something I've looked at in depth. Mm -hmm. um, and then what degree do you value like your personal reputation as a WordPress developer and someone that reliably creates good products. Like, I mean, obviously for certain types of stuff, you have a built-in market of just people that believe in what you are capable of. Um, I know that's not as beneficial for long-term scalability, um, but to what degree do you give that credit for being able to jumpstart a product? Well, um, first, I, I think personal reputation uh, and it is really important. Um, I mean, it, we can we can look no further than the way that you feel when somebody says your product is crap or you as a person are a scumbag. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't take a lot of imagination to realize how that makes you feel as a as a product creator or as a as a developer as a as a as a person. Um, I think I, I would say that, that having a stronger reputation uh, has been very beneficial to us. Um, and I maybe didn't recognize that early on. I definitely recognize it now. Mm -hmm. um, e even just sometimes on the offhand comments that people will make of, well, I chose this one because of who created it. Yeah. Um, and, and that doesn't mean that does not inherently mean that it's better than others. It just means that we have succeeded in instilling a sense of trust in people. And so because they are starting with that trust, they're probably more likely to make an investment into us. And I think that's very, very valuable. I think you and I see similarly in regards to um, some degree of transparency around who is behind something. One of my biggest beefs, and we do this from different uh, viewpoints, like you're the product maker, I'm just a person that analyzes our industry. Um, but like, if I see a product without an about page that doesn't have like someone's name on it or like what's the story behind this product, not just what what is it trying to solve? I know there are plenty of products that do that do fine without having really any face to them, but you obviously put some degree of premium on um, having your name and to a degree your reputation on the line with your products. Um, I put a good amount of um, credit towards any product that's willing to have a backer like that. Um, Absolutely. Do you think that also has an effect in terms of uh, 
you know, the end of the day type of uh, business value of these products? I'd like, I would definitely like to think it does. And I, I do believe it does. Uh, if, if for like no other reason than that I know for me personally, like you mentioned, I'm going to ha- have a harder time trusting a product or being okay with investing my time and resources into a product if I can't find out who's behind it. Um, and it's to me, I don't think it is, it's not because I inherently need a personal relationship with that person or that team. It's more, if you're not willing to put your face on it, what else does that say? Mm. Uh, and I, I don't like to, I don't like to be someone that is constantly like reading between the lines or assuming the worst, but as a product creator, I don't, if, if I am unwilling to put my name on it and if I am not, not only unwilling, but if I'm not interested in putting my name on it, that makes me very leery about what I've created. Uh, and, and so I have to assume that if someone is intentionally not putting their name out there uh, and they're connecting their name to a product or a service, that I, I almost have to assume there's an ulterior motive, either because they don't believe it's a good product, they are intentionally being uh, coy or um, trying to avoid a connection with it. I, I and I know that's not always going to be the case because sometimes it's 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 I'm not going to say it's negligence, but they just didn't even think that about it, didn't realize that was important. I think that's typically the case. Many which I think it absolutely is too, which is why I don't want to assume that there is something uh, negative going on. But I think as a creator, it is very important that we recognize there will be people that have that perception. And so you had better put your name on it. Like that is one of the best things that you can do yeah. um, to, I don't know, avoid that kind of perception. Definitely. I've had, I don't know, dozens of times probably where I see a product, I think it's pretty cool, and then it takes me like 20 minutes to find out who made it. And I ping that person. And a company name doesn't count. No, no, no. Like, I don't care what LLC says unless it's like your name. But I'd rather, I, I want to see your picture, a little biography or something to, to express who you are to some degree. Um, and usually when I go to those people, finally, because I found uh, after I found them, I, I say, hey, uh, by the way, you were impossible to find based on your product, would you consider putting a about page? And like, oh yeah, I just, you know, they were thinking about getting a product out, getting a, uh, a right. design and of their I'm, website, getting documentation. They weren't thinking about like, oh, let me put my name on the about page. Um, but I, I, I would encourage people to uh, probably follow your lead. It's, it's, a good, it's a good model to follow in terms of kind of owning, owning the product. Um, yeah. That said, and I know you're not thinking about exits um, right now. Do you think your product's attachment to you would make them less valuable to acquirers down the road? It's a it's a difficult subject that I spend a lot of time thinking about uh, because yes, I think it does cause a problem. Um, it's actually something that we've been intentionally trying to. Uh, to res- kind of resolve, fix, what have you, mitigate. Uh, and <laughs> what the first time that I recognized it as a potential problem for the future was when every single person in support, in this is in the EDD project, would open their ticket with high Pippin. And we had a team of five people. <laughs> and I was, I was just, I was just annoyed to no end thinking, it's not me. Like I'm not even answering most of the tickets. Yeah. Why? Why is this? And I, I realized that it, it was a, I don't know. We were a victim of my own success, maybe. Uh, and like everything had originally been branded under my name. It was under Pippin's plugins. It was by by Pippin, by Pippin Williams, and what have you. Like my name was on all of on everything. And and I don't think that was wrong because I I, I did build it. I did start it, and it was originally a personal brand that then expanded into a multi-person brand and trying to separate that has been difficult. Um, and, and we've been proactively going through and renaming authors on plugins. And so like, for example, if we update one of our, our EDD extensions, it used, if like I originally built that, it would say author Pippin Williamson. And now we're updating all of those anytime we can to say author 
easy digital downloads team or something like that, just to slowly get away from that. And it's not because I don't want to take credit for it. It's not that I don't think that's valuable. It's I want to look forward into the future. And if we look, if we do eventually look at um, transferring our, our products to somebody else, I want to make sure that we are giving them a, a, a complete brand that is not crippled by me leaving. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think the move to individual sites for your primary products was a, a positive step in that direction. Um, another, another thing that applies here is from a pure business perspective, um, are each of your big products, are they part of, are they, are they their own entity um, that has like an... Two of them are. Okay. So we, we have uh, three LLCs at the moment. Uh, so first we started with Pippin's Pages LLC, uh, which was personal branding and started to cause issues um, mm-hmm. like we just described. And that actually got renamed to Sandhills Development. So Sandhills Development is our umbrella company. And then uh, EDD is its own entity as Easy Digital Downloads LLC and Affiliate WP is its own entity as Affiliate WP LLC. So they are completely separate. They have separate bank accounts, completely separate financials, separate legal, everything. They are owned by the umbrella company, uh, but they are separate, which was also intentionally done looking forward into the future so that if we get to a point where we say, we want to sell Affiliate WP, it's already set up to do that. Um, we haven't done that with Restrict Content Pro yet, but it's very likely that we will do it. So Restrict Content Pro is currently under Sand Hills Development? It is. Um, just out of pure curiosity, how do you structure um, how your team is billed out to those individual companies? So like uh, developer time or salary or whatever, like is it... I don't know how I don't understand how it works from a cost, you know, from a cost uh, and tax thank, standpoint. Thank goodness I have an accountant that is awesome and was happy to deal with it. So it's a little tricky. Uh, it, it depends on the role of the team member. So we have some team members um, that split time across all the projects. We have some team members that are dedicated to individual projects. Uh, and so what we use, what we typically do is like if, for example, one of our team members is only on Affiliate WP. Affiliate WP pays their salary 100%. Mm-hmm. If they are dedicated to EDD, EDD pays their salary. If they are split, then we break their salary up into percentages. Um, technically, all payroll runs through our parent company. So EDD and Affiliate WP have zero employees. Everybody's employed by the parent company. And the, the, uh, the, the sub-companies, EDD and Affiliate WP, basically send invoices to Sandhills Development for to reimburse for payroll, or sorry, Sandhills sends invoices to the to the subcompanies to be reimbursed for payroll. Does that? <laughs> this is very it's a pain in the ass. No, I'm sure. I'm sure it, is. it sounds. It sounds like one. Um, for people that split their time, do you can you kind of finagle that so that it's based on a uh, like a standard split? Or do you have to essentially assign some degree of hours that? No, we just do a standard split. Okay. We just say, okay, you're gonna, we're gonna have you spend maybe twenty five percent of your time estimated on EDD and seventy five percent on affiliate WP, and that's how we're gonna break up payroll. I gotcha. I, I have. We just decided. I have no interest in in tracking to the hour on how it works. It takes too much time and too much effort to do that. It's not worth it in the long run. Um. This could get more confusing, but if you have, if you have, or if you have considered giving employees either options or profit share for portions of companies that they have a stake in, does that get even more confusing in terms of like some sort of revenue split or option or anything like that? Uh, not, it, w- it wouldn't really, with the exception of RCP. So, because RCP is combined with Sandhills, which then also has other revenue streams, it's a little trickier to say, well, this part of it is specifically RCP versus the other revenue we had. EDD and Affiliate WP are very simple because since they have completely separate financials, we know exactly what their profit margins are. Mm-hmm. And so if, if we wanted to say, okay, you have a 10% profit share, then we know exactly what that is. Easy. And Which is another good reason of why we wanted to break things up. Okay. 
and since Sandhills is the parent, it's not really making as much revenue. So the the revenue from those other two organizations, do they somehow have to like pass through back to Sandhills to pay for the people? They or, they, re, they reimburse for payroll. They and, okay. so it's um, purely a payroll back and forth type of thing. It's payroll back and forth and some general operating expenses. So for example, like web hosting, for example all three companies contribute to the cost of our hosting because it's a shared account. Yeah. Um, most, most things we try to give everybody their own account. So for example, every company has its own GitHub account, which they all pay independently. Um, but when you, one, one of the goals was to try to make sure that we are set up that each one is completely independent in revenue and expenses across the board. So that if we want to sell in the future, there's no questions. Yeah, and we want, I, we want to make it as clear as possible. The reason I'm actually digging into this is because I've read probably half a dozen of these, and I've shared several of them in the Postsats newsletter about uh, companies that said I decided to sell, and here's what I learned. Literally, every single one of them uh, talks about this process of uh, segregating finances and uh, identifying the true costs and revenues for the product itself, and right. and those where they had like their you know fingers and multiple pies it got really confusing and it took a long time to do due diligence um absolutely and, well, I, and, and you gotta worry then like if there's going to be a case where let's say the buyer is going to come at you and be like i don't believe you that that revenue doesn't belong to the product i'm buying now prove it type of thing yeah <laughs> you have to go through those types of steps and that's something that we want to already have taken care of so since Sandhills is essentially uh, not going to be a profit center because it's just it's just invoicing your other companies, basically, at the end of the year, when you're looking at profits and losses, you're really seeing those from the standpoint of the individual products, correct? Yeah, mostly. Sandhills will see a little bit because, because of Research Content Pro currently being under that name as opposed to a separate entity. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because it's on a much smaller scale than ED and Affiliate WP, it's smaller. So Sandhills, aside from like uh, salary and expense reimbursement, its revenue is, is restricted content pro, uh, any affiliate, some affiliate accounts that we have, uh, and a few small plugins. Like for example, the plugins that I still have that are on Code Canyon or that live on pippinsplugins.com still, uh, or there are a few plugins that I own on other websites that I take a commission on. That's kind of supplemental goes to Sandhills. Mm-hmm. In a situation where, say, you advertise, like you give you you disclosure, uh, you're a post status partner. So when you give me money, um, do you let your products reimburse you for a sponsorship like that, or do you just just kind of put that into the into uh, it the stuff at the top? Depend, it depends, depends on how I depends if you're giving me a thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars. So some of it is, well, okay, do we want to, are we trying to advertise one brand? So for example, Emma, are we advertising this as being sponsored by EDD? In that case, EDD covers it 100%, mm-hmm. or if it's a Philadelphia, if it is advertised as Pippin's plugins, Sandhills covers it. Okay. Uh, if it is, I don't know, some combination of all of them together, then we split it up usually. So I'd like to take this conversation back into product. Um, you've always dogfooded your own work um, and I'm curious how, uh, how your efforts of trying to understand your own revenue and businesses, considering they're all e-commerce based, how has that informed, um, the needs that you have from a reporting perspective in your e-commerce products? It's shown me a lot of pain points. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I, I mean, I, I think dog fooding your own products, especially if dog fooding, it means like running a hundred percent of your company with your products mm-hmm. really shows you where things suck. And which one uh, for the, for the record you use, I guess, EDD is primarily what you're using. You're dog fooding the most. It's definitely the one that we dog food the most because that's where all of our sales go through. We do also dog food affiliate WP through our affiliate programs, but that's always been kind of a side thought. Uh-huh. Um, we're working on rebuilding that like, and rebuilding and actually dominating with a really good affiliate program because we're like, you know, we kind of dog food this, but we don't at the same time. We should fix that. 
because that way that we can not only hopefully increase our own revenue, but also we can start to learn better where our pain points are there. Um, we also dog food research content pro a little bit. So like pippinsplugins.com still has a membership section. It's un- unfortunately doesn't get as much attention as it really deserves, but that is all powered by RCP. And then, uh, EDD also uses RCP as a way to handle a priority support system. But that one is kind of a very minimal dog food uh, mm-hmm. because it's not, we're not extensive. We don't use it every single day. It just kind of sits there. So how, how is, uh, how is using EDD, let's use that one as an example, how is using EDD informed how you can improve reporting for other businesses to be able to manage that type of data? I don't know what my renewal rate is. Mm. Like, yeah. I mean, we can, we can figure it out. Yeah, but d- ditto. Uh, yeah. Is a huge, so I don't I'm, have, I, we don't have a dashboard in our reports that says your renewal rate is, mm-hmm. why the F not? I, well, because we haven't <laughs> built it. Uh, uh, but, that's yeah. one example. And some of that data is difficult to capture uh, because of previous architecture decisions. I'm assuming it, I kind of know architecture within EDD. I know it a little better with WooCommerce, but it's it's the same. Um, it's, a, it's a similar architecture. Yeah, I hit uh, I hit renewals in January, and it took me basically till July before I took the time to actually see what my renewal rate was because <laughs> it was it's you know when it's you something set, that we're really hoping to fix, uh, and and we are fixing. Um, because we want it and we really need it. Um, it's it's. I, I think yours is this way too. But is it because like when it says, "Hey, you made a sale," it just says like you sold something. It doesn't say you sold. Oh no, something we, and we know a it's renewal. a renewal. Okay. No, we have renewal data like flags in there. Um, I have it in the data, but I don't have it in the reporting. So like we do, we do have a report. Like we can go in and say, "Show me all renewals," uh, or at least show me the, the revenue from renewals. And so I can look in and I can say, okay, show me the renewals for this month. And I can say, okay, it was this amount of dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, we have that. What we don't really have is the comparison of, okay, well, 30% of your revenue is renewals. And it was from this many renewal purchases or whatever, or this percentage of your customers renew their license versus don't. Um, those are the, some of the numbers that I really want to have. And part of part of the reason they don't exist is because we haven't built them. There's always, you know, when you have developers, you have you have priorities, and as much as you want something, sometimes it's not a priority um, above a higher priority. Um, but another reason is because it is actually the data is not structured well enough to make it easy to do. Now, I would I'm I've never been an advocate for not doing something because it's hard. Uh-huh. However, I am an advocate of saying, look, if our data structure sucks right now, and we have a plan to improve it. Maybe we should fix that before we build too much stuff on top of the bad data. And for the short version of that, it's because too much data is stuck in meta on posts and, and querying yeah. by metadata in posts that's really exactly sucks it. for big sites, right? Exactly. Okay. That's what, that's what I assumed. And I know uh, that's a common problem for all e-commerce platforms and WordPress. Uh, I know WooCommerce has this like, we're moving orders to... Uh, a custom table in 3.0 and they're on like 2.6 and it's like 3.0 is this yeah. scary day in the future. Uh, <laughs> we we built out basically a one to two year plan of how to do it and the order. And basically it involves doing it with several extensions on a smaller scale first. So for example, we have a plugin that records commissions for third-party vendors and all of that data is stored in a, in a post type and meta right now. And so we said, okay, commissions is used by far fewer people than the core plugin. And it's a similar data structure. Let's move it first as kind of our trial run. Let's learn our lessons on a small percentage. And then once we do that, we'll do it for our light, our, our software licensing add-on. And then we'll do it for core. And we actually, and we already did it for our recurring payments plugin for our subscription management one. Mm-hmm. We've already done it. Um, and so we learned a lot of lessons from that. So we're doing it in stages. And it's, it is something that it will absolutely happen. I refuse to not let it happen because I hate it so much. Yeah, it's, 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 it's painful. I'd like to take a minute to thank our sponsor for this week, Design Palette Pro. Design Palette Pro is a plugin for Genesis, and they've worked really hard to uh, create compatibility for every StudioPress uh, child theme. So you can use this with anything on StudioPress's website, and they're creating compatibility with uh, both 
uh, new themes that come out on Studio Press, and also they are looking to partner with third-party Genesis child theme makers to uh, try to get Design Palette Pro capable to to work with pretty much any possible Genesis website that's out there. Um, Design Palette Pro is a really great plugin by the folks at Reactive Studios. You probably know them as a WordPress.com VIP partner, um, and Design Palette Pro has the code quality to back that up as well. Uh, it's trusted by Studio Press and also Rainmaker Digital is part of the hosted platform there. So you can trust that uh, Design Palette Pro is a quality product and it's a great place to send uh, people if they come to you and they need to customize Genesis themes but they don't have the budget for full-on client services. This is a really great option. Uh, the experience editing it is fast and simple. You can preview tablet and mobile size uh, versions of the website and it is a great tool to use. So check out Design Palette Pro at genesisdesignpro.com, and I appreciate uh, the folks from Design Palette Pro for being a post-ass partner. Do you think that it's important for WordPress to have, or WordPress e-commerce uh, systems to have that type of data at your fingertips, or do you think it's okay if we leave that to services that interact interact directly with merchants, like something like Bear Metrics is what comes to mind. I know your brother uses Bear Metrics. He's yeah, uh, I have a I have opinions on both sides. So first, I don't think that as e-commerce plugins that we should be striving to provide every single metric out there. Uh, it's that is not our job. Uh, and I don't think it should be. And the reason I say that is there are certain things that services can do exceptionally well. Mm-hmm. For example, let's take Stripe. Stripe handles payment processing ridiculously well. Mm-hmm. Now, we build an e-commerce plugin, so maybe we should handle the, pr- the payment processing. Fuck no! <laughs> like, sorry, sorry to be blunt. There goes but, my PG rating on this podcast. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> But so there are services that are designed to handle things very, 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 very well. And e-commerce reporting, I think, is one of those. Bare Metrics is a beautiful example of that. And so I don't think that we should strive to build everything that Bare Metrics has. Uh, And I I don't think that we should at all. I think that we should try to – I think we should provide a, a decent baseline so that store owners are informed. Mm-hmm. so that they can make at least some informed decisions based on their revenue, their reports. But we shouldn't be trying to provide everything. For example, I don't think that we should be providing a report that shows merchant fees, merchant processing fees for PayPal and Stripe. Because this is an example that an accountant gave me. And they said, what if you get that data wrong? What if you miss data? And now your store owners are relying on that data to for financial decisions or reporting to the government or what have you, you are now basically liable because you gave them bad data. Mm. And so if you are going to set yourself up to give data to, to users or to store owners, you have to be prepared to make sure that data is 100% accurate. And I don't believe that any e-commerce plugin at least in the WordPress world, is prepared to do that. So that kind of reporting should be coming from Stripe, from PayPal. These are billion-dollar companies that are prepared and designed to do that. Hmm. We're not designed or built to do that. So you'd be okay making that data accessible in your pro- in your product? So like, for instance, saying the f- within a singular order, the, uh, the fee on this was $3.99 or something. But yes. you're, you're saying you would not be okay saying, here's all the Stripe fees that you encountered for the month of April. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, I, have to, I, I think we should be trying to give overviews. I have to say, that was uh, when I did my reporting for last year, um, that was one of the biggest challenges I had was extracting Stripe and PayPal data out of orders um, because if I just went off the 1099Ks, and for people outside the U.S., that's basically a, a, a report that merchant processors provide uh, U.S. taxpayers or U.S. businesses for saying, here's how much revenue you had. Um, if I would have just relied on that, I would have over-reported what I was actually encountering in terms of revenue and stuff. Um, 
so I ended up spending a lot of time trying to get the right data. Um, so I'm, I'm really, I'm re- I really see both sides on this because I think I think the WordPress plugins um, could do more. Um, oh, I think we can do a lot more, but I don't think that we should try to set ourselves up as the source of your e-commerce reporting. Hmm. I think that's um, fair. And, and so it, it is difficult to figure out, okay, what should we give you and what should we not? Um, and, and it differs for everybody. Um, yeah, so it, it's, it's tricky. Uh, I think, I think it, at a minimum, what we want to try to do is to make sure that store owners have an informed overview of, of their system. Um, from and and hopefully that includes like total total revenue, perhaps a an overview of fees, the amount of taxes collected, Churn. that kind of data. But when it comes like down to the penny, I that's not something that I think you should rely on. Yeah. Um, especially because like, what if you process? Let's say you process a refund and you don't update your order total mm. either because it wasn't built to do it programmatically. Or because you as a site administrator just skipped that step. Like now that data is wrong. Is that necessarily the fault of the e-commerce system? It may have been, it may have uh, facilitated making that mistake, but it's not necessarily at fault, but your data is still wrong. That data will not be wrong in your merchant processor. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And, you know, I, uh, it gives me a whole new respect for companies that are doing, um, you know, millions of dollars in revenue, or let's say they have like thousands or tens of thousands of orders per year, because it made me want to pull my hair out with several hundred orders in a year, um, because I essentially was freaking out and wanted to make sure every single one was correct. <laughs> uh, so essentially, it included an audit of everything. Um, and once you have to rely on an, a system and you can't audit every order or whatever, uh, that would be pretty scary. I mean, there's serious consequences. So anyone that's getting into e-commerce or, or product selling or whatever they're doing that makes them interested in this podcast, uh, <laughs> you know, don't take your your tax reporting lightly because it's not always simple. Um, no. I want to get back to, to your products and how you see growth. Um, at the end of last year, you wrote a post that talked about kind of where things stood and you saw a future where affiliate WP could bypass EDD in terms of revenue. And you at least noted that the, I guess the growth scale on affiliate WP looked uh, steeper. Mm-hmm. Is that still the case? And where does uh, restrict content pro fit in on this uh, little graph of three lines and, and their trajectories? Sure. Uh, so affiliate WP has not passed EDD yet. Uh, I thought it was going to. It's very close. I can, t- <coughs> excuse me. I can tell you in the last thirty days. So I, I keep a a thirty day rolling tally on the product revenues, and in the last thirty days, it's only three thousand away from passing. So it's it's close. neck and neck basically, super close. Um, is it going pass? Yeah, I think so. Uh, its growth has slowed down uh, for who knows one reason or another. I think it will will pass. Um, I think all three are still probably going to have a pretty upward trajectory. EDD has flattened out quite a bit. Uh, in the last 12 months, we've gone up and down month to month, but has been, if we, if we start from the beginning of the year and go to the end, it, it's a little bit in the upward direction, but not very much. Um, and I, th- I think there's numerous reasons for that. Uh, in the next uh, six to eight months, though, I think that's going to change. It's going to go up a lot more. Is this because um, of uh, the automated renewals hitting a year mark? Oh, yeah. Um, and that's going to apply across the board, actually, because that's on all, all products. Um, Restrict Content Pro, I'm not 100% sure how far it will go. Um, so in the last five months, we've had a one point. Postas.com slash club uh, to join and you can get that information. Have a good day. And I think in the next six, 
next six more months, it's going to do that again. Um, does that mean that it will get up to where ED and affiliate WP are right now? I'm not really sure. I, th- I think it will eventually, but I don't know if that's a six month thing or if that's a three year journey. Hmm. You mean in terms of hitting the wherever EDD and affiliate WP are at that point? Right. So you so it seems like you see restrict content pro or let's say membership pro, membership site products in general as having a uh, a higher ceiling than digital downloads or affiliate product. Um. Yes and no. Or, sim- um, or similar. I think I think minimum similar. So here's here's a couple of thoughts. So um, I, I think memberships have a wider audience than e-commerce, at least digital e-commerce. Let's let's be very specific. Okay. Definitely digital e-commerce. Yeah. Um, and, and and that's that's I I think just the nature of of memberships. There are a lot more people, at least I believe, that are selling access to resources or education or what have you, then there are people actually selling a la carte digital goods like software, eBooks, or, um, and I, and I could be wrong. That's, that's based purely on my perception and observations over the last few years. I don't have any data to back that up. Um, but I think that's the case. Um, do you consider, I guess, courses are, are access within the RCP realm, not, uh, not some kind of download, right? Typically, but that's, I mean, it gets fuzzy because there's a lot of, say, education course sites that let you buy access to them and it's a membership, but then they also allow you to buy individual courses or or maybe you buy resources that go along with the courses. So there's definitely a lot of overlap. Um, and, and that's really where the affiliate OP side comes in too, in that every e-commerce site and every membership site can have an affiliate program. Uh, and then there's a lot of sites that are not membership and are not e-commerce that also can have an affiliate program. Mm-hmm. This was news to me <laughs> that we learned through building affiliate OP. There's a lot of them. Uh, For example, like physical of, product uh, companies. Uh, well, yes. It, like, let's say that they don't have an actual e-commerce side of their physical product business. They can still have an affiliate program. Um, another a big one is like lead, is lead tracking. So there's a lot of people that pay out a lot of a lot of dollars just to collect those email addresses that they, they then use in some other way oh. that we don't see. That's interesting. Um, a lot of people. Um, and some of them are definitely on the shadier side of <laughs> the internet than others, but uh, it's still a very real thing. Um, so because there's a lot of overlap between, like especially with affiliate WP and say e-commerce and memberships, I think affiliate WP naturally has a high ceiling. I don't know where that ceiling is. And there, uh, there's also still overlap between like RCP and EDD. Um, so one of the, I think one of the best things that we can do to help push that ceiling higher and higher is to build a lot of overlap between our products. So for a long time, like RCP and EDD were hundred percent independent products intentionally, and we want to bring them together. So not so that they are the same product, but so that if you want to run them side by side, it's not just that they run side by side together, but they actively communicate with each other. Mm. And that's something that we really want to do in the future that I think will push those ceilings higher. So one of the areas where that could occur that gets me the most confused when I think of running either those at the same time or even Restrict Content Pro with WooCommerce, which I know y'all just made a push on with an extension. Um, for me, the biggest thing that gets me confused is where is the order going through and how is, um, you know, acknowledgement of that order going to happen? Right. Let, let's say, for example, that we set it up so you can buy a, an RCP membership through WooCommerce. Yep. Which is requested quite a bit. Yep. I just talked okay. to John Paris about this. I was like, so if I, let's say, let's theoretically say someone buys a post ads membership, but Restrict Content Pro is doing what its name says, restricting up the content and managing membership itself, but we let WooCommerce be the e-commerce portion. Uh, is there a, is that something that y'all have thought about? Because it seemed like to me, the way it works now is restrict content pro gives you benefits, but like 
If you do something that's about restricting content, it's going to be Restrict Content Pro managing the order. If you do something WooCommerce related, say buy a pair of shoes, it's going to be on the WooCommerce side. Yes. So this is something that we really want to do. And it's something that we have to think about a lot because like, where does that order come in? So, all right, let's say that you, you buy membership through WooCommerce and then we give you membership access. Well, should we also assume that you want that order record duplicated into RCP so that that member can see it in their dashboard? Or because it came through WooCommerce, should we just ignore that and just say, hey, there is no order? Do we have, do you like, do you relate order records together? Do you only have one or the other? It gets really confusing. What's going to be the canonical plugin, basically? Right. Because which, even, which one is the source? Even when you say dashboard, I'm literally, I'm thinking right, right which off the top of my head, I don't even want a RCP dashboard if I'm primarily considering myself a WooCommerce store. I want someone to go right. to my account and they see, uh, their WooCommerce so stuff and their here, here's RCP Here's an stuff. example of now where that gets tricky. So let's say that you buy a membership and, and you don't want a standard RCP dashboard. You want your, your Woo dashboard. But that WooCommerce order is giving RCP membership access. And then that access expires. How do you renew that access? <laughs> because all of that, that de- those details about like, okay, your account has expired. You need to renew it is the RCP dashboard that Woo naturally wouldn't have. So now you have a weird overlap and it gets, it just gets so ridiculously tricky and weird and is one of the reasons, honestly, why I think we haven't built it before until like we're going to build it and we're going to build it for Woo. We're going to build it for EDD. We're going to build it for Gravity Forms. We're going to build it for others um, because a lot of people want it. But I think a lot of people haven't thought it all the way through. And, and sometimes people just don't care as well. Like they don't care that there's this reports page in their RCP admin that does nothing. They don't care. I care as a product creator because I'm like, but it's useless now and it's just sitting there. Um, I think I care most from a user experience perspective um, because you can go to one site and essentially experience two completely separate checkout processes. Um, You can experience two completely separate like my account or dashboard experiences. Um, you can you can just feel like you're on the same site, but like the site's not talking to itself. Um, and from a consumer standpoint, that concerns me. Um, I agree 100%. And that's the biggest reason I would be terrified of running uh, two products that both consider themselves capable of handling e-commerce on the same site. And at the same time, I know based on data from you and others that like lots of people are running two e-commerce things. Oh, um, yeah, all the time. Yeah, and it's super common. So it seems like sometime down the road, there has to be some, some, some effort there. And you at least have a head start because you, you can control two of the options <laughs> between Restrict Content right. Pro and EDD. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, I think that's what, one of the things that we really want to focus on in the near future uh, is, is built, bringing those, I don't know, building those connections and figuring out what some of those hurdles look like. Uh, it'll, it'll be interesting. You mentioned that you're five, six months away before auto renewals, um, kick in on all of your products. Cause you essentially rolled them out at the same time. First one's rolled in January, then the end of February and then, uh, March, I believe. So month over month, um, once let's say next April, in your estimate, how much bigger will Sand Hills development all encompassed? How much bigger will it be next April compared to this last April? Minimum thirty percent. A thirty percent increase in revenue. Minimum is my is my guess. And that's basically off of no or that's, l- that's little growth, no growth. Little right. little growth in terms of like new customers. Yeah. Um, I mean, cause I can, I can look right now and say, based on the subscriptions that are active, that haven't been canceled. Now, granted, we don't know if those will successfully bill or not because cards might expire or what have you. Yeah. Um, but I can, I can look at what those numbers are estimated to be right now and then say, okay, well, this is what our sales were and here's what we were last year. So I can get a reasonable guess of we'll be in this range and then add on top of the recurring. You and I have talked about, um, policies on telling people that that stuff is about to recur. Um, 
I, I believe we disagree slightly too. I think so. So that's why I, I want to see where you're at, what you implemented for this, because I ended up doing a 48 hour preview, which was I really initially did 24 hour, and then I discovered uh, PayPal. 24 hours in PayPal's world <laughs> means anywhere in 24 hours. Uh, so right. for some people yeah, that was like, billing. yeah, for some people that was one hour. So now it's a 48 hour notice that happened that I say 24 to 48 hours from now you will be. <laughs> your renewal will happen. Um, and I have had maybe one like, hey, that wasn't very much time, but it's fine. Um, but for the most part, I've had zero pushback whatsoever on that. And I'm curious what you decided to do with auto renewals. We are not telling people ahead of time that they're about to be charged. So uh, you're so charging and we're going to charge and then we'll tell happened. you you were charged. Right. Uh, I look at it a, f- a few different ways. So first of all, I think that as a consumer and as somebody who pays for a lot of different subscriptions, it has never once bothered me when I get charged and then somebody tells me I charged. Why? Because I bought the subscription. Mm-hmm. Uh, just fundamentally, I-, I bought it. Like MailChimp charges me every month and then sends me an email that says, hey, we charged you this amount. And that's okay. I don't need to be told beforehand that it's charged. So first, if it is, so- if it is for a service or software that I'm actively using, it will never bother me when that charge goes through because I'm using it and I know it's there. I've intentionally left it. Um, if it is something I have forgotten about, then it might bug me a little bit, but only enough to go in to cancel it and maybe request a refund. Our policy is basically this. We're going to email you as soon as that renewal goes through. And if you don't want it, we will refund you no matter what. There, No questions asked. Ask for a refund and we'll give it to you. There is no, oh, well, too bad. You didn't cancel it, so we're not giving you your money back. No, that's silly. We'll refund those all day long. From the business perspective, I think, and and some people will adamantly disagree with me on this, but I think it is foolish (laughs) to tell people ahead of time that they're about to be charged because the number of people that will cancel because of that is way higher than the number of people that will ask for a refund after they're charged. Is is there's data to back it up, and that's also my theory as well. And um, I think it's the standard outside the WordPress industry as well. I think I think it is where, um, where it gets a little fuzzy, and uh, it's still the standard, but it's a little fuzzy. Is the yearly basis of it of of how most people charge within our world is lot a lot longer, a lot more likely for someone to have forgotten about it. Um, or to e- right. or month, or to month, even month, like month their email might not even work, much less their credit card. <laughs> yeah, you're you're absolutely right there. Um, and, and so, like my Mailchimp example isn't as good of an example because it's a month to month as opposed to a year to year. But a- Am- just, Amazon's a good example. Amazon, they don't even send you an email. I don't think they just they just charge you. Like, yeah, they also don't send you an email. <laughs> just another example, as a, like if you are a partner, and so you're you have like a, a revenue share with them. Like we do, uh, you don't get an email when you're paid either. Yeah, it's uh, it's odd. It's just money just shows up in your bank account. It's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, Amazon doesn't put a high priority on email unless it's marketing you their products. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. Well, I think um, for the purposes of this podcast, we should probably leave it there. Um, okay. I guess I do want to. I do want to finish off on one one additional thing. Sure. In terms of looking at the future and um, trying to decide on on what's next, do you think that three legs of of this stool is enough, or can you get excited about additional products and stay focused? Building a team around the products has been very important for making that decision, for sure. Um, We are at a point now where we have full-time team members on all three products uh, and in development and support and also other areas like the site design and development, stuff like that. Uh, That does now give us the flexibility of saying, okay, do we want to look at something else? We absolutely can. We haven't actively started looking at anything else. And I don't know if it's going to happen. Um, that being said, I have always been one to try new things pretty frequently. Um, maybe because I get 
I don't want to say because I get bored with a product, but because I see another opportunity and that can supplement it. And so it'll probably happen. I think what is more likely to happen as opposed to, it'll be something within our current focus. So it's not going to be, we're not just suddenly being like, you know what? We love event ticketing. So we're going to do event ticketing. I don't think that's going to happen. What will happen, guaranteed, I just don't know when, is we're going to look at something within our current ecosystem and say that could be improved. Okay, I'll give you an example because it's one we're already looking at. Um, email delivery mm. is the worst nightmare in WordPress. <laughs> one of the worst yes. when it comes to e-commerce and such. I mean, the number of support tickets we get because somebody doesn't receive their email receipt is crazy. And so we would love to fix that. Um, and we've, we've played with a few ideas. We haven't built it. We haven't really explored it that much, but we're considering it. And so when we can identify something that number one could be beneficial to us, perhaps just from a revenue perspective, but also helps alleviate another pain point within our current focuses. That's what we'll hit. Hmm. That makes sense. Pippin, thanks for joining me. Absolutely. Uh, My pleasure, Brian. Y'all can go to restrictcontentpro.com and uh, see the, see the rejuvenated product that they've built. And uh, you can go to pippinsplugins.com to see more about Pippin. And you can go to the newly acquired pippin.com for your personal blog, which is awesome. Um, so, yeah. And I'm about to ask Pippin a question about um, what he thinks about hosted e-commerce, um, as in like not self-hosted, uh, but mm-hmm. hosted e-commerce and how WordPress can play a role in that market. But only Postas Club members are going to know what he says. Um, so go to postas.com slash club. Uh, to join and you can get that information. Have a good day.